Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. to shows to do tonight, but a show we're going to do. I want to open by talking about Mike Leach. Ironically, we spent an inordinate amount of time 48 hours ago on this very show talking about the kind of correlation between football and entertainment, and I had some people argue with me that football coaches aren't entertainers. Well, they absolutely are. They're in the entertainment industry. That doesn't mean they have to do a clown show on the sideline, but they are paid the way they are. They have the spotlight on them the way they are. Those stadiums are as full as they are. Because this is the entertainment industry. It's not just sports. If it were sports, then it would have the same amount of eyeballs on it as um, water polo does. It doesn't. There's a reason why football is elevated in our society. It's because it is entertainment. And I talked about Deion Sanders the other night being a football coach, but also an entertainer. We lost a guy just like that last night. His name was Mike Leach. He was the head coach at Mississippi State. Those of us who have followed this sport for a long time have known him for a long time, ironically, and I've heard a lot of you talk today, people who never met him actually felt like they knew him. Very interesting, because you don't describe everyone in our sport like that. But um, I'll give you my thoughts, since everyone else has given you their thoughts. There's this thing that happens sometimes. You probably have seen this in your social circle, or certainly you've just seen it publicly. You know, sometimes when people who are eccentric or funny by nature become self-aware, sometimes it's the worst thing in the world. It's okay as long as they don't know they're funny, as long as they don't know they're eccentric and a little bit quirky and different because they're, they're authentic. They don't lose the authenticity, but then all of a sudden, once they realize people are laughing and they realize people like them, all of a sudden they become self-aware and they start putting on an act. They start becoming a character of themselves. Here's what I liked about Mike Leach. He actually never did that. He was just the same guy uh, the entirety of the time that we knew him publicly. Some of us were closer or got to have access to him because we cover the sport. You may falsely think that because his personality got elevated with the SEC network, for example, and just a more notoriable position that he had in the American college football landscape, you may have thought that was an act. That wasn't an act. Folks like me, who grew up in Georgia, we knew about him down at Valdosta State. He wasn't the head coach there. But a long time ago, back in the early to mid-90s, you see, if you're from where I'm from, they don't tell stories about Mike Leach at Texas Tech. They don't tell stories about Mike Leach at Washington State or Mississippi State. All due respect, 
that's when he gained his national notoriety. But down in West Central Georgia and South Georgia and rural Georgia period, they talk about that guy and his, his offensive marriage with Hal Mummy at Valdosta State in the early 90s. There was also a guy by the name of Dana Holgerson who wound his way through there once upon a time. They knew about his personality down there even then. Then he elevates, and he eventually becomes a high-profile coordinator and a high-profile head coach, and then a lot of other people knew about him. But there's a reason why, as you've listened to people talk about this man over the past 24 to 48 hours, some of whom knew him, some of whom had never met him in person before, everyone's got a story about him. Because that's the kind of dude he was. Uh, certainly left an impact on you if you ever got to meet him. So this past summer, we're in Atlanta doing SEC Media Days, and we had a one-on-one -on -one with him. We had some time alone with Mike Leach. So he comes in the room, and the thing about those sessions is they're only supposed to be 10 minutes, and it's a pretty tight schedule at SEC Media Days. You know, they go on the big stage. That's what you see on TV, but what you don't see is some of the networks, and we're included because we're CBS, we get the coaches to ourselves. And they just come in a room, and they come to us. So they, they mic you, and they sit you down, and, you know, if it's me interviewing a head coach, I know I got 10 minutes, so, you know, I know loosely where I want to go with the interview. There's no sense in even planning an interview with Mike Leach. No bullet points, no anything. He comes in, and it's not an interview. It's more so just an experience. It may be suitable for air. You may not use any of it. We ended up using, I don't know, Jesse, Colin, what was it, like two or three minutes of what was supposed to be a 10-minute interview. Here's why. Some of you who have watched the show for a while know that I'm a pretty good kid. I follow the law, okay? I walk the straight and narrow, except there's this one thing I do in my free time. I kind of sometimes hop freight trains. It's just something I do. I believe I was born this way, you know, so I don't apologize for it. Well, suffice it to say, out of the 14 in the SEC, there was only one head coach I was really comfortable sharing that with. And that, of course, was Mike Leach. You've never seen eyes that big until you've told that guy, yeah, I actually kind of live like a hobo. Uh, because that lifestyle really would only be appealing to one SEC head coach, and I found him, and I knew he was there. And so after we had gotten done with the quote-unquote football interview portion of SEC media days, yeah, I shared it with him. He had mentioned something that kind of sparked that, and uh, he wouldn't leave. Can you imagine, by the way? I, I just want to tell you, a nice little side special would be SEC media days just following the sports information director's at Mississippi State trying to drag that guy, kicking and screaming out of one door and into another door. I don't know how long he put them behind the eight ball that afternoon just because of how much we held him up. But look, I basically, so I kicked the snowball down the hill. Hey, I hop freight trains. And I just put my hands behind my back. And I just listen the rest of the time um, because he ran with it. It was really fascinating. I wish we would have kept rolling the cameras. But you want to talk about impact on the sport of college football. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about the Hall of Fame in just a second. That's its own separate thing. I mean, I'm not going to pound the table about it, but I'm going to talk about the Hall of Fame in just a second. But impact is it's really incredible, the kind of impact this guy had. Mike Leach um, held the same little laminated play sheet from the day he broke in to his final game that he coached, which, by the way, was another Egg Bowl win. Congratulations to Mississippi State. Some of you know this story. All of you are about to know this story. He had Texas Tech rolling back in the mid to late 2000s. There was a time where they were number two in the country and that famous game against Texas. I'll probably talk about that in a second too. But before that, 
when he was earlier on at Texas Tech. Lubbock, Texas is a special place. You know, I'm, I'm very hopeful that the new staff they have out there are able to bottle up just a fraction of what Mike Leach was able to bottle up there once upon a time because it's really it's a unique and special culture if you ever start winning out there, if you ever give the nation a reason to care about what's going on at Texas Tech. Well, Mike Leach gave him a reason. But here's the thing. Back in 2003, he's got a quarterback out there named Cliff Kingsbury. You, you went on to know him pretty well. He's currently the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And so he's the starter, and they, they, I don't know what their depth situation was, but there was like a third-string quarterback out there, shoulder injury coming out of high school. It's becoming pretty obvious. He's not going to be able to play. And so in lieu of cutting the kid, Mike Leach calls him into his office and says, hey, you got a really good football mind, probably the best football mind he had in his quarterback room. He just physically couldn't do the job. So he said, do you want to coach? Kid's never coached before. Obviously, he's like 19 years old. Do you want to coach? And so the kid's aggravated, storms out of the office, but comes back the next day and says, you know what? I'll take that coaching job. His name was Lincoln Riley. Yeah, so um, that turned out okay. There are a ton of stories about that, about guys who either rubbed up against Mike Leach or had access to him or, or crossed paths with him, played for him. Look at the lineage. That's a graphic that we didn't have time to make today. When you talk about the coaching tree, our Dennis Dodd referred to it more as a sequoia than just a tree. Incredible. You look at the offensive innovation. You look at guys out there who spend 25 hours a day in that offensive laboratory, and Mike Leach is out there with a mustard stain on a sweatshirt with a little play sheet he could fit in his back pocket and just run in circles around you. Has to be disheartening, doesn't it? Has to be a little humiliating for some of the guys out there in our sport. I do want to talk about this Hall of Fame thing because it was brought to my attention today. When you watched Mike Leach, when you experienced him, you were watching a Hall of Famer. You're watching a college football Hall of Famer in real time. I never would have argued with that statement, ever. Personally, I was unaware of some of the criteria that are in place in order to access the Hall of Fame, either as a player or as a head coach. One of the rules that, frankly, I think should change and I think will change about access to the College Football Hall of Fame is you have to have a 60% winning percentage as a head coach. Leach is like 59.6, I think. So he's right below the threshold. A lot of people today were saying, we should just round up. No, you shouldn't round up. You shouldn't have the hard and fast winning percentage is what you shouldn't have. This is not professional football. This is college football. Having hard metrics as baseline requirements to access your Hall of Fame in a sport as unevenly built as college football is ludicrous. And I'm not going to pound the table hard about this tonight because quite frankly, I think this will provide an impetus for that to change. I think some folks back in my home state would say Irk Russell from Georgia Southern should also have long since been a Hall of Famer, but this same number is what gets in the way. Look, you coach at Alabama, you better win 60% of your games. You coach at Texas, you coach at Ohio State, okay. Mike Leach didn't do that. Uh, Mike Leach coached at places historically where it's hard to win 50% of your games. And he was right there, right around the threshold to begin with. But what is a Hall of Fame? Like, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because, like I said, I think it'll get corrected. But if, if that guy doesn't qualify for your Hall of Fame, you got the wrong criteria in place for your Hall of Fame. So that's what I'll say about the College Football Hall of Fame and Mike Leach. They haven't made a statement on this today. I do think that this will be reason for them to change that rule. How could you not go back? Everybody's talking about their favorite memories today. I don't know if you've watched this sport any length of time. 
how can you not go back to 08? Just a, an amazing season. It was an amazing stretch right there at 07, 08, 09. Um, it's when Urban Meyer in Florida are really peaking. Uh, Bob Stoops has got Oklahoma rolling. Saban's just come in the door down at Alabama. And it's, it's sort of a transitioning point, I guess, nationally for the sport. And Mike Leach had Texas Tech rolling. And there was that fateful night out there in Lubbock. Feels like if you watch on TV, at least back then, it felt like the nights got a little darker in Lubbock than they did the rest of college football. That place got a little more menacing than the rest of college football. And they had Texas number one in the country. Texas Tech was ranked top 10. And that's Graham Harold and Michael Crabtree. No seconds left on the clock. I think they had one second left on the clock. And I think they won that thing like 39 to 33. Everybody remembers that. And if you don't, if, the, if we showed the replay, you'd immediately remember it. Here's what I remember. This is in my infancy of a sports better, by the way. I remember thinking to myself, I got this Mike Leach guy figured out. They're about to party all week. Uh, certainly, this is the biggest win in a generation for this program. It's the biggest win of his head coaching career. Uh, biggest win for anybody that season so far. They got top 10 Oklahoma State coming in next week. I am laying everything I have on Oklahoma State. They will go in there. They will pull the upset. They got smoked 56 to 20. Mike Leach just loaded the chambers again the very next week, and they drug Oklahoma State. So yeah, you remember them beating Texas. They beat two top 10 teams in as many weeks, and it was Oklahoma, I think, that derailed them. They still finished a two-loss team that year. Man, what a legend. Uh, this was not, it was a huge surprise the other night when we found out he was hospitalized. Since then, I think people had as much as you can, prepared themselves uh, for this news. I didn't want to talk about this Sunday night because I didn't have enough facts to talk about it. Certainly, we understand how this turned out now. So I encourage you guys, we'll, we'll present this as a standalone video on the YouTube channel. Anybody who met Mike Leach, anybody, uh, you know, just who has memories, anything you want to say, that comment section will be open. But um, prayers to his family. I know the Mississippi State fan base is going through it. I know the players on that team and the administration are going through it. Uh, there's never the right time for things like this to happen. But I just wanted to lead off the show tonight uh, talking about us losing a college football icon, Mike Leach. And with that, we welcome you in. Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, December 13th, the year of our Lord, 2022. Not the easiest night to do a show, obviously, but a night where we've got a lot to talk about still, and we will do a show. We're jam-packed. High atop a still gray and rainy downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I don't say this very often. We have a special guest on the show tonight. Uncle Steve's going to stop by. You know why? Because we're about a week from early signing day, which we're just now calling National Signing Day. I think Wilt Fong may have some scoop for us. If I know him like I think I do, he's sitting on a lot of scoop, and I will do everything in my power to drag it out of him. We'll have him on in about 15 minutes. I got several transfer portal names to watch. Grayson McCall's in the transfer portal. That's the Coastal Carolina quarterback. He's just in the transfer portal. That's instantly the number one quarterback in the portal, one of the top players in the portal. Bold predictions. Okay, the other night, we revisited a bold prediction one of you made where TCU was going to face someone not named Texas or OU in the Big 12 title game. We got another one tonight. One of you just hit the lottery on one of your bold predictions. All that plus 
you keep asking me, who's paying the most money in NIL? Who's tossing the most coin around? Uh, they're, they're up in arms in Columbus, Ohio right now because they think they got outbid for a kid and Ohio State won't get their ducks in a row, uh, which is not entirely inaccurate, by the way. And there are some very common sense measures they could take at Ohio State to rectify that situation. But common sense, in terms of administration, not always in plentiful supply in Columbus, Ohio. I don't know why. I just think they need to get it fixed. They're watching us in Starkville, Mississippi tonight. They're watching us in Cody, Wyoming, Cave Spring, Georgia, and Harrington, Delaware. Thank you guys for being tuned in. I want to get to the transfer portal first. Then I'm going to bring on Wilt Fong in just a second, because like I said, early signing day is coming up, and I, I got so many things that I want to try and get out of Wilt Fong. We'll see if we can crack him. We'll see. I do it privately all the time. We'll see if we can crack Wilt Fong publicly, because I, I think we got some juice for you tonight. But first up, transfer portal, just on fire. JoJo Earl, Chris Marshall. Let's talk about them for a second. Earl's from Alabama, Chris Marshall from Texas A&M. Uh, those are the number six and 25 players in the portal, respectively. A couple of wide receivers. Why am I mentioning them in conjunction? Other than the fact that they're both receivers, TCU has landed crystal ball projections for both of them. You've heard of TCU. You know, they're doing things like going to the college football playoff. They are doing things like surpassing everyone's expectation in year one under Sonny Dykes. What do we have over there? Well, we, we got Quentin Johnson, who is just a stud receiver. What do we need to do? We need to reload, right? And so we look at Chris Marshall, 6'3", 205, got in trouble at Texas A&M off the field. I don't question his ability, nor do any football scouting types on the field. D does he keep his head on straight? That's what the next destination team is asking. JoJo Earl, more of an injury situation for him in Alabama this year, never got back on the field, at least as a starter. Still a very good player, you know? So it's because you can't start at Alabama doesn't mean you couldn't start at 90% of the other programs in America. I don't think either of these guys are overrated in terms of skill set. So if TCU lands them, they're landing studs. They're landing high-level players. Keep an eye, because that's an interesting crystal ball pairing there. TCU for both of them. I want to talk about Tony Grimes for a second. Uh, mentioned him briefly the other night. Didn't really go into detail. I think a lot of you who follow recruiting hardcore remember five-star corner, Tony Grimes, coming out of high school a few years back. Remember, he skipped his senior season. There was a lot of talk. Man, is he, is he physically advanced enough to do that? Well, he's the number three overall corner in the transfer portal. Now, a lot of guys, a lot of defensive guys have entered the portal from Chapel Hill. Make of that what you will. He's got 97 career tackles. There's a feeling, the false alarm, Colin, there's a feeling from a couple of guys I've talked to, one of whom is a defensive coach, that when they watch Grimes, they think there's still some untapped potential there. So they don't think that he's emptied the reservoir. They watch his film and they say, we're probably getting 85% of what he's actually capable of. We think we can pull that final 15% out of him. Of course, everyone thinks that. Who are we watching here? We're watching Texas A&M. I think he's, he's either visiting there or has already visited there. I think that's happening right now. USC is coming up. Virginia Tech is coming up and probably not in a rush here. I think our Brian Doan reported he doesn't expect an immediate decision, nor should Tony Grimes be in a rush to make an immediate decision. He's going to have plenty of suitors. This position, corner right now, it's always a position that's premium. There aren't a ton of corners in the portal right now. So anyone who's shopping, and there are a lot of them, um, you know, 
He can take his time. He will not run out of a landing spot. You know, Marshawn Lloyd is in the portal. That's the running back from South Carolina. Interesting times up there. I'm not going to talk about it tonight, but they, they're bringing in a new offensive coordinator. Very mixed reaction. Whew, very mixed reaction up there from the, from the natives, if you will, from the locals. So I have no clue if there's correlation here. I just know Marshawn Lloyd's a really good player, and he's in the portal. Now this year, he had 579 rushing yards, nine touchdowns. Can you hear me? With him. Okay. Has been his whole career. But if you've watched him play, yeah, 5.2 yards four, per three, carry this two, year, one. that'll get it done. That's more than good enough. I picture him in an offense with a legitimate wide receiver core. You're looking at B-roll here. I don't really need to convince you he can play. Everyone's watching. So you keep him healthy. You get him surrounded cool. by My a good offensive supporting cast, which I don't necessarily um, think so you hear me uh, he had to a plentiful enough degree at South Carolina. He's a guy who, who pops on you next. And people who watch gotcha. the sport already know about him. But I mean, gotcha. just becoming yeah. a national name. Also, I think it was Alan Cole, who covers the team up there, who tweeted out this stat. If you take Jaheim Bell, who I'm going to talk about in a second, Marshawn Lloyd, and Christian Beale Smith, Losing those three guys means South Carolina is losing 66.3% of their rushing yards from last year and 17 of their 27 rushing touchdowns. I think that's a, that's a pretty sizable chunk of your offense you're going to have to replace. So we'll see what Shane Beamer and company do yeah, there. And be remember, now Bell's think. already headed to Florida State. It's not guaranteed these guys leave. It is not guaranteed yeah, Marshall Lloyd's transferring. One, two, three, it's four, just a guarantee five. he's in the portal. Portal flippers or portal dippers, we'll see where he lands. Hudson Card, been in there a little while now. I think Hudson Card went in the day the portal opened. That's the quarterback from Texas. Kind of the same deal as Spencer Sanders. Doesn't have the pedigree, nor the resume that Sanders does, but he's been around a while. He's played starting football for Texas. So look around and look at the quarterback dominoes now. They're not falling. They're just being set up in the portal, but they will start to fall. Spencer Sanders has not landed anywhere yet. Uh, Grayson McCall just entered. People didn't know he was going to enter. So instantly, the Coastal Carolina quarterback becomes the number one quarterback in the transfer portal. And you see quickly how the quarterback market, what I think will happen is, you know, whoever has the pole position there will choose his destination. Then a lot of them will start to come off the board. Not too dissimilar to how quarterback recruiting happens out of high school. But he's the number four quarterback in the portal now. Be patient. Notre Dame, I think... um, could be in this, but again, Hudson Card has time to be patient because uh, it doesn't matter how much you've been hated on online. There's always going to be a market for a guy who has started at quarterback at a place like Texas. Also, uh, two guys who have found landing spots. Jaheim Bell was the tight end, formerly running back from South Carolina that we told you about the other day. Number one tight end in the portal, really good pass catcher. think he found a good home. He committed to South Carolina over Florida State out of high school. He is now going to Florida State, and that is one when you combine it with Jordan Travis returning at quarterback, and you just start to think about how he could fit in that offense, that Mike Norvell offense, I think he did okay for himself. Another guy is Lavani Damuni, the linebacker from Stanford. You know, David Shaw just retired out there, so probably you could see a few of those guys move on. He moved on to Utah. He's 6'2", 240, 162 tackles the past two seasons. Here's what's funny. He had a 12-tackle game against Utah this year. So they got an up-close and personal look at him. 
all Pac-12 honorable mention. And again, that's a guy where when you think of fit, you think of him plugging in to Kyle Whittingham's system out there. Uh, it stands to reason they'll probably have high expectation for him. He'll probably be on a lot of preview magazines uh, come, let's say, July or August. So a lot's going on in the transfer portal. And remember, I, um, I was talking to a head coach yesterday, and there, there continues to be the belief that we've seen the first wave go in. There are some guys who are going to go in the portal. I'm telling you this with absolute 105% certainty. There are guys on high-level bowl teams and playoff teams that are going to wait until their season is over to enter the transfer portal. I mean, I'm talking about kids. I'm not singling anyone out. But if you've got kids playing for Georgia or playing for whoever, TCU, Michigan, that intend to enter the portal, Penn State, they're not entering the portal yet. That doesn't mean they're not going to. And when you're talking about kids on those teams, you could be talking about some high-level players. Oh, and by the way, we also have a secondary 15-day window post-spring, so just keep that on your radar. Always on our radar around here is Academy Sports and Outdoors. I was just peeking over my shoulder to make sure the logo was there because we're about to have Wilt Fong on in a second, and I didn't want to point to the TV screen saying, there's your hookup, and it's just Wilt Fong just chilling in Indianapolis. Not that he doesn't have it, but man, Academy... Academy just has more shelf space than Wilt Fong does. Academy Sports and Outdoors, one-stop shop for, especially this time of year, everything that you may need, and then some. Just peruse, just walk up and down the aisles. Think about Academy, and I don't know how they do this, they always have the new store smell. There's one down in Columbus that's been open for quite a while now, and they've still got the new store smell. I can't say that about their competitors. Once upon a time, I paid those folks a visit. Old store smell. New store smell, old store smell. Pick the new store smell. Better variety, better prices. Uh, dare I say, better people? They didn't tell me to say that. I'm just freely saying that. First Amendment and all. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, if you can't get there in person, make sure you go to academy.com. And look, these people are miracle workers almost, but I can't have you going to academy.com December 24th and getting mad if the Christmas presents don't arrive on time. So here we are. Let me reach in my pocket. Hold on. Something in my pocket for you. So it is uh, December 13th right now. It's not too late, guys. It's not too late. Mom, are you listening? I know a lot of people force the women in their lives to listen to this show. And quite frankly, we're proud of our female audience retention metrics around here to begin with. There is a sizable ladies of Pate State squad out there. Just, just whoever's doing the shopping, just get it done and get it done with Academy Sports and Outdoors. That's best advice I could give you this time of year. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. 
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, Colin, without further ado, I'm going to take a sip out of the chalice. I want you to tell me in my ear, are we ready? Okay, we are already. All right, sorry, I have the issues. Earwax and whatnot. All right, National Signing Day. Right now it's the 13th. National Signing Day is going down in eight days. Uh, we'll be all over the place. Some of us will be in Nashville. Some of us will be in Fort Lauderdale. We'll have our team sites covering it all over the country. We'll have our national insiders covering it all over the country. But I don't want you having to wait. And quite frankly, I think what you want to know right now is not so much just what's on the front page of 247sports.com. And you don't want to know what's available for free out there. You want scoop. You want intel. You want an edge so that you can sound smarter at the water cooler. I know that because I know you guys, and I want those same things. So here's what I did. I called Uncle Steve earlier today, and I said, Will Fong, I need something from you. I need to squeeze that sponge, and I need some juice. I need some drip on the show tonight. Can you deliver it? And he said, yes. And then he saluted. I, I didn't require the salute, but I appreciated it. And so we bring on 24-7 Sports, National Director of Recruiting, recent Chalice of Supremacy recipient. Congratulations, sir. Steve Wilfong, how are things in Indianapolis tonight? Does the sun set there as early as it does in Nashville? Uh, a little hour later, I think we set at the same time, just an hour later here in the future, brother. Yeah, not fun, not fun at all. Okay, so I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my rankings over here. Uh, not shockingly, Bama's number one in the country. We're sitting here eight days away from National Signing Day. I got Georgia there. Notre Dame is still right there in position. If you have to handicap this thing right now, is anyone catching Bama? I don't think so. I think that they have it <clears throat> all but locked up. Excuse me, I need to put some juice in my chalice there. I think they have it all but locked up right now when you look at what's already in the fold and what's still potentially out there for Nick Saban and company. When you look at guys like 24-7 Sports Composite, five stars, defensive lineman James Smith, Edge, Quay Rousseau, they're still in the sweepstakes for Desmond Ricks. Uh, um, Jordan Hall is a defensive lineman they're swinging at. I crystal balled Damari Brown, a top 247 cornerback from the Sunshine State to Alabama today. So there's a lot of uh, elite talent still strongly considering Alabama down the stretch here as they try and lock up Nick Saban's 10th number one recruiting class since coming to Tuscaloosa. Hey, are you surprised right now? I mean, I got Miami 8th, I got Florida 9th, and I've got Florida State down here 17th. Is that the way that you kind of expected things to land in Florida? Or, I mean, are we going to be sitting here a little over a week from now and talking about Miami making huge moves or Florida making huge moves? Because, I mean, they still got uncommitted kids down there with a bunch of those stars next to their name, do they not? Yeah, coming into the cycle, if you had asked me what order they would have finished in, I would have told you that I thought Miami would finish with the highest class, Florida 2 and Florida State 3. But I would have said that I think all three are top 20 and that uh, Florida and Miami have top 10 potential. The Gators still have a chance to finish in the top 10 with what they have on the board. And, and, and Miami, they're trying to push into the top five with what they have on the board. And a lot of that 
Miami, Florida discussion on who's going to finish the highest. They got a couple pivotal head to heads against each other. Joshua, you got five star offensive tackle Samson Okunlola from Massachusetts visited Florida for the second time in, in, in a few weeks this past weekend. But he has Mario Cristobal and Coach Maribal in his home right now as we hang out on late kick. Miami is the Cristobal favorite, but we're not sleeping on the Gators there. On the flip side, top 247 running back Mark Fletcher visited Florida this weekend. I logged the 24-7 Sports Crystal Ball forecast in favor of the Gators for Fletcher, but we're not sleeping on Miami there. He may not even sign during the early signing period. There's a lot of strong buzz for Florida right now, but we've seen Miami flip the script on the Gators. We've seen the Gators flip the script on the Hurricanes with, with Jaden Rashada recently. These teams have gone head-to-head. It was Cormani McLean for Miami, Jaden Rashada for Florida. They've They've already had some monster battles against each other, and, and, and seeing those two programs lock horns on the trail has been fun and fascinating so far. Well, Fong, I mean, Florida State ended the season playing better football than either of those teams. Like, where does Florida State fall in the recruiting pecking order right now? Well, I think, again, I think this is a program that is trajectories on the way up with the way that they're recruiting and, and uh, you know, with the way that they – had their season and look they're they're in the mix for some key guys here down the stretch maybe they flip an andy gene a receiver committed to florida right now maybe they flip him he, he could take an official visit to tallahassee this weekend they're trying to flip cedric baxter from texas although i think that might be a long shot they're going head to head with alabama for damari brown right now with miami uh hanging around in there uh, um so they're they're trying to flip conrad hussey a top 247 defensive back from south florida from Penn State who is on campus this weekend. So I think that Florida State's in on the right guys too. But then, Josh, you look ahead in 2024, they have a top five class right now. And that's really where you see good seasons resonate is on the next recruiting class. It could help you finish strong, um, but they're off and running in 2024. And I think a lot of it has to do with the way they opened up that season in New Orleans and, and got a statement victory against LSU. I've been around you on signing day and I've watched you Try and read the tea leaves on these Florida, these state of Florida kids and these state of Florida signing classes. And um, I don't blame you for constantly being on edge because I would be 10 times more on edge than you because I'd be worried either someone has lied to me or someone is going to make an NIL move and render everything about the past two years irrelevant. So scale of one to 10, what's the paranoia scale as we're headed into this signing day about some of these battles down in Florida? Uh, I mean, I, I think that I never think I truly know what's happening. So every time you re, you report something, you you do it with the caveat of knowing that this information could either be a little off or it could quickly change and and make you look incredibly wrong. I mean, it, it's look at Kamani McLean. That was one where uh, most assumed that he was going to Florida, and then he pops on the Miami hat and. Miami had been working that one behind the scenes for a few days and had that one locked up. So sometimes you don't catch the pivots or the new information. And so when you're bringing it to the readers, you know, it's incorrect. So well, uh, certainly with NIL and, and uh, the infrastructure some of these programs have in that regard and, and, and the pace that they're going at with that, um, these recruitments can change on a dime in the last second if that's what the young man is, is most important with his decision. So. 
yeah, this, you know, sometimes things change quickly and, and the information that was right uh, three minutes earlier is wrong. Well, see, that's where I have to come in because you know that I, I wave the Wilt Fong flag here and I will defend your good honor. When you take the high road, I'll take the low road for you. So sometimes I just have to, I got to do the whack-a-mole to some of the viewers and let them know um, all of the information that was available with the best sourcing network in America, which I think you have, because I've, I've sat at dinner before and watched the calls you take, it wasn't good enough because no one can predict a swing that sometimes happens, especially in the climate we're in today. Okay, I got a question written on a piece of paper right here. Someone asked me this earlier today, so if you get mad at it, blame my friend, don't blame me. What is wrong with Texas A&M recruiting? That's what the people want to know, Wilt Fong. Is there anything wrong with A&M recruiting? Absolutely not. I think Texas A&M has one of the best recruiting classes in the country. It's just a smaller class. They have 12 commits. But Joshua, when you look at my favorite statistic in recruiting, which is average ranking per commit, which tells you truly how talented your class is, Texas A&M ranks number four nationally in that regard. So this is another terrific class for the Aggies. It was always going to be a smaller haul for them after the monstrous size class that they took last year. But when you look at the top of the class and the elite players that they have in the fold and the couple guys that they're still in on down the stretch, they're recruiting to a standard of incredibly talented players. Now, people should be asking a lot of them on the field with the way they've recruited. You know, last year, people make a big deal of that number one class, but they had three top 10 classes before that. So this is a roster full of top 10 classes and highly average ranked commit players. And so uh, this is another good class for Texas A&M that kind of meets the standard that they've been recruiting at. Now it's bringing it together on the field with more consistency because they've really only had one great year under Coach Fisher so far. Well, here's the other thing, man. Like, you've known this for a while. Um, I've gotten to get out on the road a little bit more. And on these Friday nights when we're in town, I like to meet with some of the staff. It's not always coaching staff. Sometimes it's, it's off-field, it's support staff, it's, it's player personnel types. And you learn about some of the biggest moves that happen in this industry that are not reported. We know when coordinators move. We know when someone hires a new head coach. But Wilfong, you, you rarely have big flashy headlines when director of player personnel types move. But in reality, man, that's huge. Like you had some movement from A&M to Oregon this past cycle. This paid huge dividends in one place and left a huge void in another place. So it's always interesting because you never have time to talk about it publicly. And quite frankly, it wouldn't generate enough traffic anyway but there's a lot of that happening. Okay, so you're in touch with pretty much everyone on the face of this planet when it comes to recruiting. People talk about Bama all the time. People talk about Georgia all the time. Give me some underrated recruiting staffs right now that you think are really doing big things, and it doesn't always have to be ranked in the top five. Relative to what their expectation levels should be, who are some big-time staffs out there right now? Oh, man. I mean, I think right now you look at TCU, the way that they've capitalized on the momentum of making the college football playoff. They have a top 20 class right now, could ultimately end up being in the top 15. I think Texas Tech, Joey McGuire, and that first-year staff at Texas have really been able to capitalize on all the relationships that they have with the high school scene in the Lone Star State. They have the number 23 recruiting class in the country right now, Josh. I think that's very uh, impressive. And, and, and so those are two classes that, that really stand out to me. Uh, when you look at the top 25 right now, certainly I think Oregon from Mario Cristobal to, to Dan Lanning, I think from a recruiting standpoint, 
you went from maybe the best head coach or the most active head coach recruiter in the country in, in recruiting and Dan Lanning and company, they have the ducks in on some very elite players here uh, down the stretch. And they're going to be as fun as anybody to watch here leading up to the early signing period, whether they win some of these battles or lose some of these battles. I know we were going to talk about who could finish with the number one recruiting class in the country. And I had to make sure Oregon was mathematically not alive when I started punching some of the names that they were in on on the 24-7 sports class calculator as they try and flip the number one offensive tackle in the country, Caden Proctor from Iowa. I think Alabama's still in there for Proctor as well. I should have mentioned him in the Alabama segment as another guy they could close on. David DJ Hicks committed to A&M right now, but he's taking four visits to Oregon. Oregon's still in the mix, still communicating with Peyton Bowen. And some of these guys are long shots. Matea Uagalele, the five-star defensive lineman from California that I like Ohio State's position for now, but maybe I like Oregon's position for more as he nears his college decision. That you know, Those are a bunch of five-star recruits that Oregon's still in on here uh, as the cycle comes to a close. What do you think the um, – I know it's tough to say right now. I'm trying to pull up the team rankings. So right now – Given that all those guys are still on the board for them, like, I mean, what do you think the ceiling is on this class for Oregon? Well, I think that uh, when I plugged all those guys in, that they have a, a realistic chance of finishing with a top, well, realistic, I don't know if that's the right word. They have a mathematical chance of finishing with a, a, a class that finishes in the top four when you compare scores from the cycle before. Like they could hit with over 300 points which is what the Buckeyes had in the number four spot last year, which would be a hell of a first class and really would be extremely top heavy uh, with some very elite players if they're able to pull that off. They already have five-star quarterback Dante Moore committed, Josh. Uh, he took a visit to UCLA last weekend. Everything I'm hearing today, I still think he sticks with Oregon. You know, We'll see what happens over, over this next week. And then Dan Lanning's in home with five-star defensive lineman David DJ Hicks right now and his family as they try and flip him from, from uh, A&M. So a lot of big in-home visits going on right now as we record this show here. I wonder if they're watching Lake Kick in these houses right now. Well, listen, if they're not, they should. Um, man, I, I assume you see some of the same stuff I see. Like I've got, I've got coaches texting me their itineraries this week. And it's insane. Now, fortunately, they don't have to go commercial like you and I do. We're down here with the normal folks. But, man, so like I, I, saw, I saw one of them text me a couple of days ago, nine states, uh, multiple stayovers, not even just going back to campus that night. And you're trying to bowl prep. You're trying to hire new coaches. Some of these guys are. I, I complain about it for them because I know it does them no good to complain about it publicly. But, man, behind the scenes, you, you probably get a lot of that you probably get a lot of that steam being blown off in your ear too, don't you? That's why a lot of these guys love when they get to travel with the head coach. Like if it's their recruit and the head coach is going in home and you're a high profile university, that head coach is not waltzing through the airport, airport flying commercial with the, the likes of Wilt Fong. You know, they're on the private jet. They're in, they're out. That's the life right there when you're recruiting here down the stretch with, with the head coach uh, on the private jet. And you kind of take for granted someone like me that's so immersed in recruiting here at the end of the cycle, you get on the phone with, with a college coach or something and they tell you they're back home because they got a, pra they got a bowl game, they're practicing for that, and you just kind of forget that that's something else they got to do, which is game plan, make sure they're keeping in touch with their own players, practicing. People forget that like 
just because they're already on the team, they don't just see them at practice. You know, there's there's more to it, and and, and so there's that that the juggling act of of keeping up with your players, recruiting, seeing your family when you can, and, and travel. And this is a this is a, a hard time on coaches, and and uh, I know a lot of people appreciated the lead into your show the other day. I got to ask you about Deion Sanders. A lot of his traffic's probably going to be in the transfer portal this first cycle. Um, what have you heard, either just from folks out there or just in the industry? It's reverberated a lot. I've gotten feedback about it. But in recruiting, what do you expect the immediate impact to be out there? Well, I think that anytime you get a phone call from Deion Sanders, it moves the needle. And it's just the call you want to take, no matter how long you've really been committed. I would say most prospects would be excited to get on the phone with him and hear what he has to say. And then he's one of the more electric, charming, charismatic guys in, in college football, as you know, that seems to be very eloquent in his message for the direction he wants to take this football program. And you look at Jackson State and what he was able to do there, taking a program uh, that was not a traditional winner by any stretch and turning it into a must-see a must-see event where their attendance skyrocketed under Coach Sanders. I believe they averaged over 50,000 fans per game. That, that uh, would rival a lot of Power 5 programs there. Um, the way that they, they offered, they, they were not afraid to offer blue-chip prospects. There were a lot of times where I was tagged in Jackson State offers, um, I think now at Colorado. And, and obviously, they landed some guys at Jackson State, right? We were there together when uh, Travis Hunter flipped. Uh, I was at the All-America Bowl when Kevin Coleman announced for Jackson State. You know, they beat Georgia for the number one JUCO corner in the country two cycles ago. Um, at Colorado now, there's a lot more resources than there was at Jackson State from a facility standpoint and support standpoint that I think he'll be able to showcase as part of his pitch to prospects about why the player development at Colorado will be second to none. He's hired a great staff. A lot of guys on his staff at Jackson State were former NFL coaches that coached some of the best players in the league. So they had the pedigree at Jackson State in addition to just the the uh, pizzazz and, and, and lightning rod that Coach Sanders was in, in the corner office. There was a lot of substance on his coaching staff. And now at Colorado, he's already made some terrific hires with his coordinators, guys that are well-respected, guys that are proven play callers and, and developers of, of talent. Then he's also added, added some really exciting recruiting pieces to it. Nick Williams, you talk about Texas A&M, you talked about some off-field recruiting guys. Nick Williams was one of the best off-field recruiters in college football for the last four or five years, helped Georgia and Texas A&M win some monster recruiting battles. He's getting his first opportunity to coach on the field at Colorado as their defensive line coach. I think he went out and hired uh, uh, one of the top uh, potential off-field guys in Corey Phillips, who's got a ton of experience as a high school coach and, and then working at places like Vanderbilt and LSU. He's been in different atmospheres, different colleges that ask for different things from student athletes. He's gotten a lot of experience in that regard and, and been around a lot of different kinds of kids. So I think, and, and he's on the road recruiting for Colorado right now because they don't have a full staff. So he's allowed to go out there. They're going to swing at elite players. They're going to have some exciting portal wins. I wouldn't be surprised if they flip a prospect or two that we're not even talking about right now. And then in 2024, they're going to have some massive recruiting weekends. 
and we'll see how it goes. I think that they're going to land some big time guys. It's been a long time since we've seen them have a top 25 recruiting class, Josh, but I'd be pretty surprised if they don't have a top 25 recruiting class in 2024 with the staff that they put together and uh, the excitement that everybody has that I've talked to within the program already. Did I rehearse any of these questions with you today? Yes or no? I got a heads up on what they were going to be very shortly beforehand. This is why I love you. Um, I got one more for you. So you mentioned Travis Hunter a second ago. I remember, because I was like five feet away from you, when that, when that stuff happened last year, we, we already, I mean, to take people behind the curtain, we're down in Fort Lauderdale, we're at CBS Sports HQ, and they've already got full, like, big packages. We voiced them over. It's like, it's like two or three minute, just grandiose packages celebrating Travis Hunter signing with Florida State. And then all of a sudden, like, I hear you over there go, uh, uh-oh. And then we, I think we took like a brief commercial break or something, and you said, hey, there, there may be something happening with Travis Hunter. And it's like, what, is he going to delay his decision? Is he not signing until the afternoon? No one even had it on their radar, Wilt Fong, that, that what you were intimating at could be, oh, he's going somewhere else. And if there was going to be somewhere else, you would have thought like a Georgia or some major program out of the blue, and then it was Jackson State. Anyway, I'm not asking you if there's going to be a Travis Hunter 2.0 this year, because no one knows. That's the whole point of it being a huge shock. But let's call that a 10 on the 1 to 10 shock scale. How high do you think we'll peg that shock scale this year? You don't have to predict who it is, but how big a surprise or surprise is do you think we're in store for early signing day with how things currently are structured in our sport? Yeah, and the Travis Hunter thing, that morning, just dotting I's and crossing T's, I reached out to a coach at Georgia and said, hey, any chance Travis Hunter flips from Florida State to y'all? And the coach said, hell no. So I thought it was, I thought he was a seminal, right? And I just was looking in the wrong place because, you know, an hour or so later into the show, you, you get a text of Travis Hunter's going to Florida <laughs> or to Jackson State. And it was it was, it was such a cool story, man. And thankfully, it happened right before we went on break. Like, our show was split in two. We got that in right before the buzzer. Then we went in the lunchroom to almost, like, make sure. It was, like, I have a source saying that Travis Hunter was going to go to Jackson State, but you didn't have it in the Hunter camp. So you were just still kind of waiting. And then you see Pete Thamel report it, and you're like, Yes, it's accurate. It's good. He's going to Jackson State. And then then the whole thing, you know, uh, you know, the whole thing was it, it, it was it was still one of the biggest stories. I feel like every signing day has something that's super exciting that goes down. Even maybe even if it's the little things just to add up into the big things. Um, so there'll be some stuff that happens. I don't know if it's like a Caden Proctor or, you know, I mean, I'm I'm you know, I that's not me predicting that's going to happen. That's just me. I mean, he's visiting, he visited Oregon. He's going down to Alabama. So, you know, and those are kind of the obvious ones. You're asking for the unobvious ones. And, uh, or the, so there will be something. We, there always is. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking about it on the show. Sir, I appreciate you staying up. I'm sure you got up like 4.30 Eastern this morning. So um, unwind, drink, sip some NyQuil from that chalice behind you. And uh, early signing day rapidly approaching. Guys, make sure, if you're not already, subscribe to that 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. That's where that entire multi-hour extravaganza on National Signing Day will be. Uh, they just had the five-star reveal show earlier today. So 247sports.com also. 
a really good resource. Stephen, take care. Have a great rest of your evening. Joshua, Jesse, Colin, thanks, y'all. Have a good one. See you, brother. All right, so I just wanted to get you caught up. I, there, there were a lot of things. I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that again, maybe at like 0.75 speed, because there was a lot that was said there that you need to read between the lines of, because Stephen's going to be able to tell you, I told you so, on quite a few things about nine days from now. You don't have to be taken fully off guard. Make sure, if you have not already, subscribe and like the video. That's it. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. We move on in the show. This has been so fun. These bold prediction revisited segments are so fun. We got to get right back into the bag tonight. Uh, some of you just absolutely crushed your bold predictions, and I doubted you. And for that, I am here to apologize. This first one, right off the bat, like this is money. Listen to this. This is, this is our buddy Dave Bartu at CFB Matrix. A great follow. I mean, a lot of coaching staffs use his, his resources. He said, I wouldn't say it's bold. I would, Dave. I made it a nine on the boldness scale. He said, but three favorites in the preseason top 25 that will not be in the top 25 come season's end. Pitt, Cincy, and Ole Miss. He said, none of them are going to finish top 25. Well, guess who finished outside the top 25? Pitt, Cincy, and Ole Miss. And I called this a nine on the boldness scale. I think I said something along the lines of, I could see one of these happening, maybe even two. But all three of them in the same season, I looked at Cincinnati and I thought they can afford to lose two games and they still won't finish outside the top 25. See, if he would have said top 10 or 15, I could have gotten on board with it. But I mean, you got three really good programs here, none of them in the top 25. And yet somehow it happened. So Dave nails his bold prediction. I mean, hats off, sir. That's, that's well done. And he, he didn't pick three scrubs either. He picked the, the former ACC champ, Cincy coming off a college football playoff appearance, and Ole Miss had a good season last year. And at one point, they were top 10 this year. So that, that's, some, that's some crystal ball work for you right there. Next up, this one was bold too. But man, this one, for a little while, this one had some steam. Clark said, there will be an SEC team not named Alabama or Georgia in the college football playoff this year. I called it an eight on the boldness scale. It ended up not happening. The preseason Vegas odds would have led you to believe if it does happen, it'll be Texas A&M. Because look at that, A&M had the third best odds to win the SEC. Who had the fourth best odds? Albeit very, very long, it was Tennessee at plus 4,000. Well, Tennessee ended up being that team. 
Now, Tennessee had to play both Alabama and Georgia. It's a tough scheduling break, but it's not a break because they have to do it every year. But they beat Alabama. And then they go to Athens, and it's, a, it's just a tough draw to go into Athens and try and beat Georgia. So in the end, we had a, we had a team not named Alabama or Georgia in the SEC championship game. We did not have one in the playoff, though. We got two Big Ten teams in there. We only got one SEC team in there. Next up, this one was pretty intricate, too. I had to really read it like thrice, three times, thrice. DJ said, Utah will be the only Power Five team to repeat as conference champ and make it to the college football playoff. I called this one a six because I had Utah making the playoff, so I was on board with it. I thought they'd win the Pac-12. They did. So that part at least came to fruition. They didn't make the playoff because they lost three games during the regular season. But I was confident in this. So think about what he's talking about. Last year's champs, only Utah is going to make it. Well, Pitt, I could see. I wasn't high on Pitt this year. Uh, Baylor, there were several teams that had better odds than Baylor. I I thought Michigan, while they were going to be the second best team in the Big Ten, I thought it was Ohio State's year in that conference. I can get on board with all that. I thought Bama was going to be the issue. Because Bama, remember how overwhelmingly they were favored coming into this year. And it's just, we whiffed. I whiffed on Bama. Vegas whiffed on Bama. Just a lot of us whiffed on Bama. So I thought Bama was going to get in your way. Because, see, they won the title last year, but they didn't win the SEC title. So if they won the SEC, hey, they were going to throw this prediction in the wood chipper. Uh, Bama wasn't the issue, as it turns out. Michigan was. Michigan repeats as a conference champ along with Utah. So that one's out. Close, very close, but no cigar. Next up, this one was a, mm, this one was a little, little more bold. Taco said, there will be zero undefeated teams at the end of the regular season. This hasn't happened since 03. Zero undefeated teams. You got 131 of them in various years. You've had more or less, but you got like 130 some odd teams. None of them will be undefeated. Someone's going to be undefeated. That's what I thought. So I called this an 8.75 on the boldness scale. And we ended up with two undefeated teams. At the end of the regular season was the prediction. My IFB almost fell. Uh, That was the prediction. So not after the playoffs, but like right now. Georgia's undefeated, Michigan's undefeated, uh, the end. But also, the last time this happened was all the way back in, when it comes to non-COVID years, in 2003. That was the last time we had no undefeated teams. I guess we can include the COVID year because we had like eight of them undefeated that year. Last up, this was never going to happen. Bless the heart of whoever made this prediction, but this was never going to happen. Oh, Morgan. Oh, poor Morgan. Morgan said, the Every Given Saturday Tour will make a stop in Columbia, Missouri for 4-0 Missouri versus Georgia in week five. First off, let us reiterate the fact that Missouri was 2-2 at the time of this game. The weekend was pretty loaded. Jesse, do you have the screen? Do you have that like graphic where we know the games that were that weekend? I, I think I was at Kentucky Ole Miss. I believe that's where I was. That was the same day NC State played Clemson. You had Bama at Arkansas that day. Oklahoma State at Baylor. Wake Forest at, uh, at Florida State. So like we, were, we just weren't going to be at the Missouri game. But here's the irony. Missouri came as close as anyone has all year to beating Georgia. 
So unfortunately, they were 500 going into the game, which warranted us ignoring the game from an every given Saturday tour perspective. But they, they just about beat Georgia. They let them. I think by two scores at one point in the fourth quarter, they let them. Eli Drinkwitz, how did you almost do that? And, and then the rest of the country, how did you not find a way to replicate that? That was a bad offensive line performance for Georgia that day. Suffice it to say they rectified things. Okay, let's move on. I've got a, I've got a segment here. As you can see, it's a square, and then there's nothing written on the piece of paper, but don't worry, we are ad-lib masters around here. We, we had a question that was uh, submitted in the Late Kick inbox a couple of days ago, and I wanted to get to it today. So Kaysen said, which teams are offering the most in NIL? He just put it out there. Who has the biggest bag out there? Who's tossing around the most cash? Um, here's what I want to do with this question instead so as to not have a bunch of head coaches on the phone with me by the time I get off air, that there are a lot of places. Look at the Logan's Roadhouse NIL deal there. Is that Bryce Young? Who is that? Whoever it is, they made the right decision. So there are a lot of places where you can get very lucrative NIL deals. I don't think we need to remind you uh, how much you could get at a Miami or, or a USC. Bryce Young did quite well for himself this year. Here's the thing you need to know, okay? It's not so much the individuals and how much money they're making. That's all well and good. It, here's, the, here's the down low on how NIL is happening right now. It's not so much about our kids being paid. Well, of course they're being paid. It's legal. What you should be, well, what I am interested in is not so much whether kids are being paid, how much they're being paid. When are they being paid? That's what's interesting about NIL. See, right now, there's some, some big arguments happening within the NIL space and within athletic departments and coaching staffs about how we should take this collective money. Now, of course, in reality, that shouldn't be decided by coaches. We understand we live in the real world. That's how it's happening. So the argument is not whether we should find ways to distribute this money. The argument is who do we pay and when do we pay them? There's one school of thought out there that you take all the, the NIL resources you have and you buy your recruiting class. Seems pretty simple, right? It's not, because there are, there are some other folks out there, and I think that there's some very, very big staffs that feel this way, that say, we're not paying a high school senior six figures who has never played a down for us. We're not doing it. What we will do is we will offer opportunity, and we will show him that the best players at our program end up making inordinate amounts of money, like ridiculous amounts of money. But they're going to prove themselves here first. And then that's where the money is going to get allocated. And also, here's the added bonus of the incentive the major program has. Look at the 40-year decision, not the four-year decision. We offer you an opportunity to be developed by the best. You got disproportionately better odds at being a high-round draft pick here than you do if you go elsewhere. You choose. They put the ball in the kid's court. You choose. And there are some programs out there. I, quite frankly, I think there's one in Columbus, Ohio right now that may very well miss out on a kid or two because they are not willing to pay big NIL money on the front end. I'm not saying that Ohio State's NIL approach is perfect. Quite frankly, administratively, I think they need to get out of their own way a bit because they could be doing a lot better in NIL there if you just, if you would fully leverage all the resources available to Ohio State. I think I'm making myself clear. But anyway, I don't think Ryan Day and his coaching staff or the Ohio State Brain Trust 
are tossing big money at high school kids at all. I don't think Georgia's doing it, despite what you've heard reported. I don't think that's how Alabama's operating either. I just mentioned three of the top programs in the country. I'm not telling you they're not paying kids. I'm not telling you there's not NIL money to be had there. What I am telling you is, I think some of the big dogs, some of the established programs in this country are not paying unproven kids untold amounts of money. There may be rare exceptions. Quarterback, obviously, is chief among them. They're going to spend money on quarterbacks. They are not paying 800 grand to an offensive tackle. They're just not. They are not going to do it. And there may be another program out there that does do it, and you got a choice to make. Do you want to go somewhere where you get the immediate money, and it's questionable whether you'll get developed, or do you want to go to a place that has a long and established track record of developing your position, knowing that, number one, your NIL earnings potential is going to peak the moment you step on that campus, and especially the moment you play for that team. And number two, there's this other NIL thing. It's called the NFL. Those are the three letters you really need to be concerned about. And some of these programs may not offer you a great big NIL bag before you've played a down for them out of high school. But what they do offer is eventually some lucrative NIL opportunities and NFL opportunities. Now, someone's going to ignorantly come into comments and say, that's foolish. The NFL could find you anywhere. If you can play, the NFL will find you. I never said they wouldn't, friend. There's a big difference in being drafted in the sixth round and late in the first round. And the fact of the matter, and this is inarguable, is the program you go to has a very, very disproportionate impact sometimes on how draftable you end up being. Translation. If I am an offensive guard, there are certain programs out there I could go to and do everything in my power, take care of every bit of business on my end, and I still get underdeveloped. Whereas if I went to the school down the road, I put forth the same performance. They're just better at developing me. I just made life-changing money. Maybe school A was going to offer me 110 grand in NIL coming out of high school. Maybe school B said, suck it up and earn it. What was the right decision for me? You know. So my point is, there is no wrong decision. It's your decision. I just think some of these programs are looking at it saying, we're not going to pay you that kind of money. And if they will, like I, ha- I have had pretty, pretty reputable sources tell me, we have passed on kids who have told us their offers. Like I had a coach tell me flat out, I had a kid come to me and say he got offered X amount of money and I had to tell him, if they're really offering you that, you need to take it. That's tough. You've, you've invested two or three years in some cases in recruiting these kids. Uh, here's the other thing that's just understood at this point, which I think will end up balancing out the whole NIL structure. As I've told you before, I think conferences will eventually get involved in this and the NIL game will be turned upside down. In the meantime, I think the transfer portal is going to very, very quickly adjust how the NIL game is played. Uh, Because if you do go to school B in the aforementioned scenario, you could just be telling yourself the whole time, I'm going to go there and get that freshman money, and then I'll transfer to the place that's going to develop me better. Well, that leaves little incentive to front load your, your agreement, your contract, for lack of a better term, with school A. A lot of school A, school B there. My point is, there are some programs out there right now who are going to miss out on some high-profile kids come early signing day, national signing day. You're going to see it. It's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. You will pretty well be able to guarantee what happened in that recruitment. I'm just saying, it's not that they couldn't afford them. 
It's that in principle, they refused to afford them. That is the game being played behind the scenes right now. The game being played here is, this day has sucked, but we delivered you a show anyway. Uh, we appreciate you guys for watching, for tuning in. Make sure you like the video on the way out, subscribe to the channel. Um, you can follow me on all the social, at Lake Kick Josh. We have a lot of fun on those, above and beyond what we do on the show. But uh, until Thursday, same time, same channel, take care. For Direct Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Payne. Thanks so much for watching. God bless. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.